Buonasera a tutti, good evening and welcome to the Italian Radio Hour. Io sono Viviana and I would like to welcome back our regular listeners and also welcome any new listeners. Also be sure to like us on Instagram and Facebook at Italian Radio Hour and subscribe to our YouTube channel to catch up on any past video interviews. Vorrei dare il benvenuto ai nostri ascoltatori da tutto il mondo, grazie per essere con noi anche oggi mentre continuiamo il nostro viaggio per l'Italia e la cultura italiana. Well, if you were in uh, Los Angeles uh, just a few days ago, you were probably hearing and reading all about a great event, uh, Taste of Italy, that took place. And today we're going to have a conversation with i almost feel like calling her a dear friend of mine, although we have oh. never met. But when I grow up, I want to be like her. Oh, uh, <laughs> and uh, I'm specifically referring to uh, Marianna Gatto, who is the executive director and co-founder of the Italian American Museum of Los Angeles. But before our conversation with Marianna, a little publicità. Parli italiano? Do you want to learn, improve or master your Italian? Istituto Mondo Italiano can help. Located in the heart of Regent Square, Mondo Italiano offers small group classes and one-on-one -on -one private tutoring to help you learn Italian in no time. Visit us online at www.istitutomondoitaliano.org. Well, welcome back to the program, Mariana. How are you? Thank you so much. I'm so happy to be back. I think the last time we spoke, we did one of these interviews was late 2021, right? It was Probably. still the pandemic. Uh, exactly. So, but, uh, you know, it's just uh, sometimes uh, um, I kind of say it's love at first sight when you see someone doing so much uh, to promote the Italian culture, Italian American culture with a lot of content, a lot of style, that's for sure. <laughs> And great, great programming. Um, as I said, I associate all of these two to you, Mariana. You have oh, done a fabulous and you continue to do um, a fabulous job where that's why I said when I grow up, I want to be like God you. God bless you. Thank you. I, you know, and I, I, I have the same than you, so. <laughs> mutual respect for you. You know, I think um, we know that it's, it's not easy to do what we do. I know that sounds a little bit self-important, but um there's not often a lot of glory in it we don't do it for the money we really do it for the love of our culture of our heritage and as one professional italian to another by professional italian i mean we do this full time you know um tremendous respect and admiration uh, so just to give a little bit of a uh, background on uh, Mariana, of course, she's been one of uh, uh, the uh, people behind, uh, you know, the campaign to secure substantial public funding to renovate the Italian hall that eventually it's an historical building eventually became the Italian American um, uh, Museum of Los Angeles. She's an historian. She's an author. She focuses uh, on Italian Americans in Los Angeles and the West. And not only, but I really, really enjoy to learn more about uh, fellow Italian-Americans in uh, Los Angeles, little um, Italy, and then you have other publications. And uh, um, as I said, they're endless, the, um, the activities that you uh, offer uh, with and within and outside uh, um, the Italian-American Museum of Los Angeles. And I just wanted to start maybe with the one that is probably the most glamorous for the last, you know, it just occurred on September the 23rd, uh, which was the taste of um, Italy. Um, I'm going to try to uh, pull out a picture, but I was wondering um, from what I saw, um, it was an amazing and very successful event. Can you tell us a little bit about, um, first of all, the organization that was probably a major undertaking? Um, 
what uh, what did the attendees experience? What was the uh, goal of this event? And I know also that the um, this went into funding some programming for the museum. So I'm going to let you tell us all about. Yeah, so Taste of Italy, um, and this would have been the 15th year that we present the event, but we took a three-year hiatus during the pandemic. So Taste of Italy is an upscale food and wine uh, event uh, that features some of the region's best Italian restaurants, uh, Italian wonderful wines uh, from all over Italy, as well as California, and um, a variety of musical uh, acts. It all takes place adjacent to the museum in what was the city's earliest Italian enclave. It's a it's a historic part of Los Angeles that you know when the when the uh, sun sets and the lights go on, you almost feel as if you are in um, like an, a, a piazza somewhere in Italy. And of course, um, we have some you know, again fantastic uh, restaurants that uh, many of whom have been with us since the very beginning some of the best restaurants in the region. And um, it's really kind of a, a showcase of all things uh, Italian um, uh, when it comes to excellent Italian products, uh, cuisine that's representative of Italy's various regions, as well as, you know, kind of like the, what has become um, very important to us as Italian Americans as well. Like some of the, the recipes that um, trace their origins to, you know, this side of the Atlantic. And I, I think it's it's kind of follows that model of um, everybody come together in the piazza, enjoy yourselves, make new friends, um, share food, um, experience <laughs> something new. Ask autographs uh, to a couple. <laughs> yeah. uh, we also, of course, have some of our great celebrity guests. Um, Joe Mantegna was there this, eve uh, this year, as he is oftentimes. And... Um, you know, the goal when we first started Taste of Italy was to raise awareness for the tremendous history um, uh, that Italians have in uh, Southern California and also raise awareness about the museum project. Um, it has since morphed into an event that we use to raise money for all the free educational programming that we present at the IMLA each year. Um, now that you know we are operating again in full swing, we welcome thousands and thousands of youth and their families for free programs. Um, they could be arts workshops or plays, um, musical, uh, you know, concerts, and uh, many of the people that we serve are. Um, you know, don't have these opportunities elsewhere oftentimes. Mm -hmm. And so we're really proud to be a place. Uh, the museum is admission free and our programs are also presented free of charge. Mm -hmm. So um, this is kind of, uh, you know, this event at first glance is all about eating and drinking and having fun, but it, it directly benefits the work that we do in the community. Absolutely. And also you, um, you know, the uh, Italian-American Museum in Los Angeles um, has a great numbers as far as also attracting people that not necessarily are of Italian uh, extraction because yeah. your programming is so um, varied um, mm -hmm. that uh, you have uh, both, you know, the exhibits uh, that are in the house at your location and we can see uh, Pinocchio, who will be there until October the 15th. And maybe we'll talk yes. a little bit about this very successful um, 
uh, exhibit um, as well, your you know, online um, exhibits. So tell us a little bit about, uh, and uh, we'll also go on to the website because the website of the museum is already provides a great um, wealth of information and in, including the online exhibits. But tell us a little bit about this. So I started in November, 2022, if I remember correctly. And Pinocchio is going home. Pinocchio. So <laughs> yes, yeah, so you know, kind of what you you just touched upon. Um, only about fifteen, so one five percent of our visitors are of Italian extraction, and what we're charged with doing here is creating um, exhibitions and presenting content in a way that is interesting and relevant. Um, our goal is for people to, you know, enter the museum you know, visit our permanent exhibition and say, oh, you know, this is interesting. I didn't realize that Italians experience this. So this is kind of similar to my family's history. Um, what we really hope to be is, you know, in, in showcasing the Italian American experience, also encourage people to question and to, you know, examine more of the American experience, their own experiences. Um, so, but back to Pinocchio, um, this was an exhibition that we first conceived in 2018. And um, it was a tremendous undertaking. Um, we uh, worked very closely with Fondazione uh, Carlo Collodi. Carlo Collodi was, of course, the author of Pinocchio. Um, you know, Pinocchio was written in the late 1800s as a, um, you know, a story for children, as kind of like um, a story of morality, uh, the consequences of, of bad behavior. And um, it, you know, we, it, it has since been translated into more languages than any other book besides the Bible. And we asked the question, why? You know, what is responsible for Pinocchio's enduring fame, this um, ongoing interest in uh, this little boy? And uh, so we present, you know, the original work as part of the exhibition. We're showcasing one of the only first edition um, copies of Pinocchio that remains in the world. Um, I believe there's six, and um, this is one that we were, um, uh, interestingly enough, um, UCLA, the University of California, Los Angeles, was generous enough to loan us. And uh, there's a variety of toys and costumes, Academy Award winning costumes from a recent Italian language adaptation of Pinocchio, um, as well as, you know, all the different ways that Pinocchio remains a part of our contemporary lives. Um, you might have noticed if you're an iPhone user, there's an emoji on your iPhone with the long nose you know, to designate, you know, a lie or, or something of that nature. And um, the Washington Post has the Pinocchio meter um, <laughs> as a way to, to, to judge the accuracy, the truthfulness of statements made by elected officials. So Pinocchio is this, this you know, this, this entity, um, this character who was, yes, created by an Italian for Tuscan children um, at the end of the um, 19th century, but he's still so very much part of our lives today. And um, this exhibition has been probably the most popular ever at the museum. Um, we have welcomed tens of thousands of uh, people from all over the globe, but also, you know, um, people from all over the nation, young and old and everyone in between. Uh, there's something for everyone in this exhibit, and uh, I'm I'm very proud, um, you know, of the museum uh, for you know uh, for this this project, which overcame a lot. You can imagine during the pandemic there were some interesting times, 
Uh, so we we're, we're again, we're sorry to see him leave, but we're also very excited to welcome um, our next exhibition to present that. And we're going to hold on to that because there are, uh, we're currently looking at a picture. Um, actually, is the room to your right as you stand yes. in the museum. Can you tell us something about these two uh, very uh, different pieces that uh, we are seeing? Yes, yeah, so right at the forefront, that little little red costume is um, from a, an Italian version language of Pinocchio that uh, was released in 2020. And um, Matteo Cantini Parini is the uh, designer of this costume and two others, um, you excuse me, three others, you only see two of them in the, in the current frame. Um, but these, uh, this adaptation of Pinocchio was probably the closest to the original work. And the designer really wanted to capture the, Pinocchio, the, the poverty that um, characterized Pinocchio's life. So he created these beautiful, um, just really, just amazingly beautiful costumes that were subsequently uh, nominated for an Academy Award. And so you see two of them there, Pinocchio and the Blue Fairy. And then in the background, you also see um, a piece done by an Italian illustrator, um, a young woman who um, was um, commissioned to provide the illustrations for a new, uh, a more modern adaptation of Pinocchio in print. And um, she was kind enough to allow us to reproduce this illustration and we chose to print it on silk, this very fine flowing silk, just beautiful. And so you see that over the historic fireplace in um, our temporary, part of our temporary wing. And then um, way on the other corner um, is a rug by a Danish designer named Hay. And um, it is inspired <laughs> by actually a candy by the German um, producer Haribo that is called Pinocchio. And so here you have a rug that was inspired by a candy that was inspired by Pinocchio. So it's part of kind of the way that we illustrate just how much Pinocchio is part of our life in ways we don't always even notice. Mm -hmm. um, so again, you know, I'm, I'm tremendously sad to see this lovely little boy leave us, but um, we have some exci other exciting uh, stuff to do. Absolutely. And uh, just FYI, there's going to be a new exhibit in Milan, and I believe it's in November, where mm. 60 designers um, uh, will provide objects of, you know, whether uh, inspired by Pinocchio. So not necessarily uh -huh. just the toys and everything. Um, this was, uh, um, it, it would be an interesting segue, or at least worth uh, making a, a connection, um, which I will be more than happy to facilitate because, again, it continues the Pinocchio conversation. <laughs> yes, absolutely, absolutely. And if we can provide anything that we own um, for this exhibition, we would be more than happy to. Okay. I'm sure they, they're way past that at this point, but... <laughs> Well, uh, so when we talk about exhibits, so we see the exhibit, but how much time in advance are the ideas of an exhibit being thought and then uh, worked upon? Well, let's see. So Pinocchio, as I mentioned, he was first conceived, this exhibition was first conceived um, at the IMLA in 2017, and it was then slated to open in June of 2020. Obviously the world had other ideas, and uh, so we pushed this exhibition. It was going to be um, the first that we, um, you know, reopened with following the pandemic. 
but we chose instead to present the exhibition on um, needlework of the Italian diaspora. That was our opener. It was and because it was our hope, um, you know, things took a little bit longer than we thought, you know, in terms of people feeling comfortable to come back out. And what we wanted to do with Pinocchio was present just tremendous amounts of programming where kids could come with their families and, you know, without masks and touch and, you know, be kids again. And we did that. I mean, we did uh, two marionette performances. We did three plays, um, you know, uh, a variety of workshops, puppet making, marionette making. And uh, so I think we were right to wait. Um, but to answer your question, we are currently programmed into 2027 at the museum in our temporary galleries. So, um, you know, as you can imagine, all of these exhibitions, they take a couple years to develop from like concept to actual, you know, what you see at the museum. And, um, you know, anytime you're talking about loans from another institution, depending on the institution, you might need to ask, you know, three years in advance, sometimes more. So there is a lot of thought that goes into all this. And then also, you know, we are, we're a smaller institution. Um, so all of our projects are funded <laughs> um, as we go along, you know, we're seeking funding to produce these um, while we're developing them. So it's, it's, a, it's a bit challenging, um, but, you know, and we hope that that changes in the future. <laughs> um, we're working towards that now in, in terms of uh, establishing an endowment that gives us a little bit more um, freedom. Mm -hmm. um, but uh, yeah, it's typically about a three-year process. Mm -hmm. And it would be nice also to see the continuation, you know, especially when there is uh, those beautiful exhibits that have taken um, so much work to put together and uh, your organization has done the groundwork to see them traveling across the United States or elsewhere, um, elsewhere. Um, so that uh, other people that are not, <clears throat> excuse me, geographically there might enjoy, um, as I said, that between the uh, marionette workshop and the actual exhibit and everything, my heart was <laughs> projected to LA so many different times. Aww, I mean, I the announcement. And also the uh, Women Lives um, um, was a beautiful, uh, we got a chance to interview also uh, Lucy about her performances and everything. So extremely well done uh, programming. Say from my heart. Now I'm gonna show well, another picture. <laughs> Go ahead. Yes, yeah, so I was just gonna say, say on that note, we are still hoping to bring Woven Lives to New York. Um, we're still mm -hmm. in conversation about that. Um, Woven Lives incidentally won the award of excellence from the um, National Association for State and Local History. You know, again, we're, we're, we're proud of this exhibition. Um, but also, you know, some of the smaller museums, their greatest challenge is to get people, you know, to come back once they've seen their permanent exhibition, um, to get people coming through their doors. And programming, you know, temporary exhibitions are a great way to keep people coming into your door, you know, to your facility. So we also hope um, to continue to serve as a resource for other museums, whether they're Italian American museums or not, um, and bring some of these exhibitions to different communities. Um, we, we were touching upon this earlier, you know, many of our previous exhibitions will create, if we have the funding and the time, a, a virtual version that continues to live on on our website. But we'd love to continue to bring, you know, the actual physical versions to other communities 
and have that serve as like an impetus for people to continue to visit their facilities. But anyway, I apologize for interrupting. <laughs> no, absolutely, because uh, the segue was going to be what's next. And I'm going to share a picture that I think it will give us a little bit on the introduction. <laughs> it kind of ties in, um, ties in to um, these, I think this picture was in 2022 at the beginning of it. Um, yeah, uh, some of the research. Um, so, and then the exhibit, uh, when is so? Let's say, let's make officially, um, said your next, your upcoming exhibition is <laughs> yes, uh, our coming exhibition is titled Louis Prima Rediscovering a Musical Icon. And, um, you know, I imagine that many of your listeners are familiar with Louis Prima. Um, he was, of course, an incredible jazz man and songwriter, um, an, uh, an extraordinary performer. Um, but we, we kind of noticed something interesting happening. And that is, if you go on TikTok or Instagram, you see tons and tons of reels uh, that, uh, that use Louis Prima's music. But if you ask the average person who might be, you know, kind of younger than that age to remember Louis Prima, they have no idea who you're talking about. If you play his music, they say, oh, yeah, you know, Angelina, you know, or um, Chila Luna. I mean, everybody who's, you know, posting a, a video, eating a piece of pizza, you know, they're, they're using um, Prima's music oftentimes. And um, but it's more than that. You know, Louis Prima was one of the first musicians to really say, no, my name isn't Lou Prime, I'm Louis Prima. Mm -hmm. You know, in and in, during World War II, when a lot of people were Americanizing their names, when, um, you know, when Dino Crocetti was becoming Dean Martin, Louis Prima remained Louis Prima. And he sang in Italian at a time when that was frowned upon. And um, in, in being so proudly Italian and displaying his ethnicity in this very proud way, he helped pave the path for others, including Frank Sinatra and Perry Como and many, many other musicians um, that followed. So this exhibition examines his roots. You know, he was um, the born to um, parents that were of, of Sicilian origin in New Orleans, um, New Orleans, was and remains uh, at that time, you know, a very diverse city um, where African-Americans and Italian-Americans often lived side by side and they shared some of the same economic and political and social rituals. Um, and so this exhibition examines kind of his, his very diverse roots, his inspirations mm -hmm. and um, how he came to do things like um, you know, entertain at the at the White House at the you know the the uh, JFK's inauguration. So um, it's it will be uh, also a um, an exhibition that presents a little something for everyone. Uh, but to answer your question, the photo that you see on the screen, and I apologize for being long winded. Um, this exhibition we started working on it um, in 2020. Um, our, we, I, I should have mentioned them earlier, but the our, our, our chief um, uh, collaborator and sponsor is the Gia Mayone Prima Foundation. And um, you see um, pictured next to me, Lena Prima, who's uh, Gia Mayone's daughter. Um, so Louis Prima's um, one of his two youngest children. And uh, she of course continues to perform um, in New Orleans. 
And this image was taken at the um, Jazz Museum, the New Orleans Jazz Museum, who um, presented um, an exhibition on Louis Prima. We, um, in turn, kind of um, took many of the items that were included in this exhibition, um, also selected additional from various other archives at Tulane, the Foundation's archive, and then um, rewrote this exhibition or really kind of created a new exhibition to examine Louis Prima in the way that um, is more fitting for an institution like ours to mm -hmm. examine Louis Prima, um, you know, as in, you know, also kind of shedding light on his Italian heritage and why some of the things that he did were so um, kind of revolutionary for the time. Mm -hmm. So lots of surprises. I, I hope I didn't give too much away, but um, if you're in town, if you're in Los Angeles between November of uh, this year of 2023 and October of 2024, we hope you'll come visit the exhibition. We also have a lot of programming lined up a lot of really fun stuff from swing dance lessons to um, live performances. Um, we'll be announcing the programming lineup shortly. But um, yes, this exhibition opens to the public November 4th. Now, there are a couple of different things. And the reason why I brought this picture and uh, um, did I remember or were I able to read somewhere correctly that the original spelling of jazz was actually <clears throat> uh, different than not with the two Z's at the end? Um, you know, I've, um, so yes, it was spelled J-A-S and J-A-S-S. -S. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, like any place where um, so many people are coming together and they're being inspired by each other. I mean, I would have done, I, I would have loved to have been around at that time when you, you know, mm -hmm. you see New Orleans, which is just such a, um, a cross section of, you know, uh, many cultures, um, mm. multiple influences. And, um, you know, there was a tremendous history, of course, of, um, you know, Italian Americans um, in jazz, uh, mm -hmm. which many historians have, expl have explored a bit. But, um, you know, as you probably know, in the South and the Southern United States, there were laws at one time, part of Jim Crow laws prohibited um, mm -hmm groups, mixed race groups from performing together. Um, even though, you know, you saw African-American musicians, you saw more Anglo musicians, you saw Italian musicians, and they, you know, for what it looks like to me, oftentimes, they weren't really focused on skin color as they were on creating art, making music. Mm -hmm. And in places like the French Quarter, um, there were a number of Italian-owned nightclubs, and they kind of you know, thumb their nose at these rules. And you saw a lot of integrated groups performing in these venues at a very early time. And, um, you know, again, I, I, I won't claim to be an expert on all those details, but I find it rather fascinating and encouraging um, that, you know, there, there was, um, you know, such um, this interplay, um, this, you know, kind of uh, exchange between Italian American musicians, African American musicians, and all the different people who are coming together to make art, to make music in New Orleans um, during that time. 
Um, some of the, maybe the pictures of the artifacts that you came across, and unfortunately, I'm not be able to recognize any of the additional <laughs> individuals, and I don't know if you are to. Well, I can, um, I can share with you, this image is great. I love it, and I'm glad you selected it. Um, so this image is from a film that Louis Prima um, was featured in, uh, in the 1930s. So, um, you know, Prima, of course, starts in New Orleans. And then um, he's given his break by um, uh, Italian Canadian band leader who brings him to New York and he performs in the Big Apple. And mm -hmm. then Hollywood beckons and um, Louis Prima is given an opportunity to come out to LA and be the partner at a nightclub called the Hollywood Famous Door. And he's already a bit of a phenomenon at that time. He's already had some hits and he's kind of, you know, the handsome band leader. So um, he was um, given an opportunity to appear in several Hollywood productions, including this one, where he's mm -hmm. pictured with some of the other members of his band, um, the New Orleans Gang. <laughs> and um, so this is a still where they're driving through Hollywood and mm -hmm. Prima's behind the wheel. Um, I can't identify all the other um, gentlemen off the top of my head, but um, if you like, I could go back and we can put it in the comments. No, that's okay. That's okay. Um, let me see. Can you see now the yes, I can. music? <laughs> yes. And I can so, see your gloves because obviously handling, um, you know, any type of material, I mean, any type of um, uh, reperti, uh, yes, it re requires a certain type of a handling. Um, yes. So, <laughs> so this, this, this is the original sheet music for Sing, Sing, Sing which is a song that Louis Prima wrote. And it's often, um, you know, thought of as a Benny Goodman song because Benny Goodman had a tremendous hit with Louis Prima's song. So Louis Prima wrote it, he recorded it. And then Benny Goodman came and did his rendition of it, which is of course fantastic. It's a classic. Um, but, you know, Sing, Sing, Sing is this uh, song that we, you know, considered to be synonymous with the that era. Um, you know, when swing music was coming into vogue, you know, as jazz continued to develop. And um, again, it's often attributed to Benny Goodman, even in Ken Burns' jazz documentary, you know, Louis Prima's kind of uh, absent <laughs> and the focus is on, on Benny Goodman. Um, uh, but, uh, you know, there's, you know, Louis Prima wrote Jump, Jive and Whale. He wrote Just the Gigolo. He wrote Angelina. Um, so many songs um, that we, you know, that are kind of soundtracks for our lives um, and that are used broadly in film and television. Um, but as time has marched on, Louis Prima has um, become less of a household name mm -hmm. and our hope in this exhibition is to um, kind of showcase um, him and maybe help him, um, you know, regain a little bit of the credit he deserves for shaping American music. Absolutely. So again, if you can give us, uh, do you have a, an actual opening date of the exhibit? Yes, yes. Mm -hmm. so November 4th, it opens to the public. And of mm -hmm. course, admission is free. Um, so you can come enjoy our permanent exhibition as well as the new exhibition on Prima. 
Um, but of course, if you're in Los Angeles before then, um, we, we, we hope you can also catch Pinocchio. <laughs> and, um, you know, we're, we, we're just very excited to, to share um, these, these programs, these exhibitions with, with you. Absolutely. Now, when you were talking right now about Louis Prima, um, trying to give him uh, credit again, because, um, you know, the, the recollection of the newer generations might not be there. This ties in into probably the last kind of segment of our uh, conversation. Uh, in August, you were here in Pittsburgh, but unfortunately, was yeah. in Italy, so we missed one another yes. for a huge uh, conference. And... Uh, um, with the, in the ISDA. Yes. And uh, I think one of the um, common things of um, the conversations is the engagement of the youth and how to make our heritage um, um, interesting to them. Uh, they come together in a different way or sometimes they don't come together at all because they have other forms of entertainment. Um, but uh, I was just uh, curious, uh, because I've missed the convention, uh, if you kind of could catch me up on uh, some of the uh, things that you thought was more um, were more relevant to um, the whole audience, maybe to um, uh, you personally, and if there were any lesson learned or anything that we should all do. Um, I think by promoting the Italian, uh, you know, culture, we're already doing something about it. But uh, I don't know if they gave some, um, you know, one, two, three uh, homework for all the organizations involved in this conversation to to do once the conference was over. Yes, yeah, certainly. So I, I mean, any opportunity to get together with Italian Americans for various parts of the country, uh, I relish um, to share ideas. Um, you know, th this this conference represented a number of different uh, voices coming together um, from New York and Ohio and New Jersey, Florida, California. Um, I was able to sit down with the folks who are, um, you know, who recently opened the Italian American Museum in Cleveland and um, speak about collaborations. Um, as for youth specifically, um, one thing that was very encouraging uh, to me at this conference was some of the younger chapters or some of the newer chapters, I should say, of ISDA that have been, and by ISDA, um, I should just spell that, I should, you know, spell the acronym. That's the Italian Sons and Daughters of America, a, a great organization with, you know, very long and storied roots in Pittsburgh and, and, um, and also, uh, you know, in Ohio and, and that neck of the woods. Um, but who's doing, you know, tremendous work today, engaging people online through um, all their, their incredible content, um, and who's also investing in the future. Um, you probably are aware that the ISDA was one of the chief sponsors of the um, Italian American Future Leaders Conference in Florida. And that was also something that I was uh, participated in. I actually served on the advisory board of, this was a brainchild of um, Pat O'Boyle, my dear yes. friend and compare Pat and John Viola, and they were really the two that spearheaded it, found the funding for it, and put together this incredible conference that, and you talk about a historic event, that was a historic event last um, uh, uh, January in Florida, where we had, you know, over a hundred young people come together from various parts of the country and who are just incredibly engaged in their um, heritage and preserving it and 
whether they're nurses or attorneys or they're still in college, um, their Italianita is an important part of their lives. And um, I was so encouraged to see these young people, and by young, I mean, you know, 21 to 35-ish, um, who are playing, you know, who, who hold leadership roles in their communities. And um, that to me was, you know, an indicator that, you know, we were kind of that generation that bridged that, I think that bridged the um, generation where to be Italian wasn't necessarily a good thing. You didn't want to speak about it. You didn't, um, you didn't accentuate it as much as maybe some other groups feel safe to now. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, I, that indicated to me that there is a group of young people who, who indeed are the future leaders. They are leaders now and they will continue to carry this through. Mm-hmm. Um, and I look forward to participating in the upcoming conference in Florida, which I think promises to be even larger. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, uh, so I'm you know very proud of that. Absolutely, because uh, I mean, I was talking to John Viola and uh, Pat of Oil. We we actually had uh, episodes on you know the Italian American podcast and mm-hmm. the Italian yes, yes. and everything because we do share, I think, a common philosophy. And it would make will make me extremely happy if somehow I can contribute also to. Um, this uh, leadership conference for the young uh, young Americans, because in our uh, as an organization, we deal indeed with that age group and mm-hmm. their their uh, younger parents who are in and the younger even younger. You know, when we have the summer camps, you know, the the parents that invest um, in sending kids to Italian summer camp versus some other things, and then eventually people think it is just a, an Italian thing. We do um, uh, we, we do little science experiments uh we cook we learn about mm-hmm. history and geography so it really touches all the disciplines and uh, mm-hmm. in addition to uh to the language now um there... so um, I'm, thank you i'm gonna share a couple other pictures because you know I'm... <laughs> that's actually because you do have let me see where i see you do have uh a pittsburgh connection so i do uh, i'm very proud to to let say, me you know, let me I, see if I can uh, just bring it up uh, so that yeah. you can tell me where these. Uh, Which one for? I'm looking for. I do have it. I'm just trying to share it. Um, okay. I think it's your uh, grandparents' house. My grandfather. Yeah, that was my grandfather. Um, so my grandfather arrived in. United States in 1919, and he worked in a coal camp um, in Point Marion for a while, and then he moved to uh, New Kensington or New Ken. Oh, and, um, my, um, you know, my background is in history research, so any family history, anything like that, I would can help me track it down. Um, but um, I obviously this was way before my time, but that was um, kind of like a boarding house that he lived in, and I found that address and tracked down the house. Mm-hmm. And um, you know, my my grandfather spent ten years in Pittsburgh, and I still have some family there, a cousin. Um, and it's you know, I I did not grow up going to Pittsburgh because my my grandfather then moved to Colorado to continue working in the steel industry. Um, but I always felt this sense of connection to, to Pittsburgh. And uh, this was only my second time there. 
and um, it's a great city. I really enjoy it. You know, did you a, did you did you leave owning a motorcycle as well? <laughs> oh, so, so well, actually, it's funny because I do ride motorcycles. So for me, uh, well, here they say ghetto. So uh, it was always a point of reference. Uh, so when I saw you in front of that, it's like. I wonder if it is the same family because I have also students whose last name is Gato or, yeah. uh, and uh, I was trying to establish if by chance there is a connection. So, <laughs> so I, from what we can tell, we might be very distantly related, but we're talking very, very distantly. Um, mm -hmm. But, you know, years ago, my, my, my father actually discovered this dealership. He had purchased some shirts that, you know, we all wore. And then the first time I was in Pittsburgh, I went to visit the dealership, um, which is owned by a, just a wonderful gentleman named George Gatto and his sons. Mm -hmm. And they were all so incredibly welcoming that, of course, you know, typical Italian, Italian-American style, um, they embraced me. And, you know, so we kept in touch, all, you know, for a number of years and I let them know I'd be coming. So, of course, you know, they open their doors and um, just lovely people. And um, so I, although we, the DNA might be a little bit distant, mm -hmm. um, uh, they certainly are, um, I, I wouldn't be, I wouldn't mind being adopted by the family. They're just lovely, <laughs> lovely people. <laughs> no well, motorcycle though. I think no motorcycle. motorcycle. Okay. <laughs> and I think, I think they also have, you know, they have bicycles, they have ATVs, yes. mm -hmm. you know, yeah. They're, they're very well known for anyone that is into two wheels or uh, the ATVs. <laughs> well, I know that your uh, your afternoon is very, very busy. You have appointments coming up. So as I said, I don't want to uh, overextend my welcome. Um, no, and, it's so lovely seeing you. And, you know, when you said earlier that we'll, we'll see each other in, in D.C. at the, at the NIAF Gala, another organization that I really love and admire and support, Um and, you know, hats off to my friend, Robert Allegrini for being an incredible leader. Um, you know, you said, oh, I look forward to meeting you finally. I I feel so close to you, <laughs> you know? I, I said, wait a minute, we feel like we've, we've been around each other, we've hung out, we've had dinner, um, but we haven't. So um, again, like the Italian warmth. <laughs> Absolutely. So, well, unfortunately, our time together is up. Il Big Bang and Detto Stop. It's time for us to say arrivederci e alla prossima. We want to thank you for tuning in into the program. And if you have any questions or comments, or if you have any uh, topics you would like us to address, you can contact us at theitalianradiohour at gmail.com. We would love to hear from you. And remember, if you or any of your family and friends have missed a prior episode or would like to listen to this episode again, please visit our website at www.istitutomondoitaliano.org and click on the Italian Radio Hour tab. You can also subscribe to the Italian Radio Hour on YouTube or where you catch your favorite podcasts. And I would like to profusely thank my friends to, <laughs> to meet in the first uh, live, uh, Marianna Gatto. Thank you so much for having me. It's always a pleasure. Absolutely. And our sponsor, Istituto Mondo Italiano. And until next time, alla prossima. Ciao, ciao. Ciao.